I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. Peter Leach has quite the legacy around these parts. He was the president of North Shore Studios and Mammoth Studios for over 35 years. And he is also past chair of the Motion Picture Production Industry Association of BC. I caught him at a good time. It was summer and he was feeling reflective as he looked back on the past few decades he spent working in BC film and as he prepared to pass the reins, which made for a really great conversation. Peter started his Vancouver film career in the 80s with a degree in commerce from UBC, and then he came on as a financial controller with Cannell Films in 1987, hired by Stephen J. Cannell himself. He moved up the ranks and helped to build North Shore Studios, which opened in 1989 and is still thriving today. North Shore Studios and Mammoth Studios are just that. Multiple stages, hundreds of thousands of square feet, and the sheer volume of films and TV shows that have shot there is equally enormous. From the early days of 21 Jump Street and The X-Files, to scenes from Deadpool, The X-Men series, and Jumanji. Basically, if you work in Vancouver film, you've likely been there. Peter and I talk about the rise of the Vancouver film industry from the early days to now, how he's seen the industry change throughout his long and illustrious career, and his thoughts on what the future holds for the next generation of BC film. Enjoy. Hello, Peter. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's awesome to have you here. Um, I know you're such a busy man, so I do appreciate you taking the time on a very sunny day, which probably a lot of people are trying to leave early from wherever they are, which is rare in Vancouver. Um, I'm really excited, actually, to have you because, as I told you before, I've had a lot of like guests from Set Life. Um, But I've not really had anyone from the studio perspective, so I'm really looking forward to digging into that with you and sort of like understanding a bit more of it. We're we're the guys with the normal hours. (laughs) Right? Well, we're going to find that out. Maybe we won't admit that today. (laughs) And and we get to show up up at the same place every day. (laughs) It's true. I know. Well, you can't minimize it already. I mean, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I will say, though, I've, been, I've heard you described as atrociously humble. So I don't know if that's accurate well, or not. No, that's not accurate, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so like I, that. Okay, so, so I have to make sure we, we get across, you know, who you are. Um, so, yeah, just I will take it away from you so you don't have to do it. But um, Peter is the president <laughs> at North Shore Studios and Mammoth Studios and also chair of the Motion Picture Production Industry of BC. So we'll get into all that. Um, a little further along in your journey. You know, I'm so curious about your path to and through film. Sure. Um, but I kind of want to just ask you, you know, we're a little more than halfway through the year, and I wondered, I kind of wanted to check in with you about your thoughts on the industry to date, you know. I don't want to get too much into COVID. I think there's a lot of fatigue with it. But, right. you know, how are you feeling for the first half of the year with film and COVID and just the cadence of productions from your perspective? Well, I'm an optimist. I don't think there's anywhere else I'd uh, rather be than British Columbia and being in the film industry. So, so I'm uh, I'm pretty optimistic about the business going forward. Um, I think there's always bumps in the road. Um, I think there's challenges. I think there's issues that we have to uh, deal with going forward in terms of workforce development, uh, which includes EDI, um, and 
of course, um, our the Real Green Initiative, where we're trying to be as uh, as green as we can as an industry. And I think we're on the right path to that. But uh, I, I know we all can do more. Um, so uh, I think it's a great industry. I'm um, very optimistic in terms of about diversifying the talent stream that we've got in British Columbia so that we can draw from all corners of the province and get more people involved in the industry that we need um, to be able to build it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, it's looking like blue sky ahead in my mind. But again, there's going to be um, some issues that uh, we have to deal with. And uh, um, But that's the, the, the industry is pretty good at dealing with those type of hurdles that come their way. Yeah, I think it's been pretty resilient with COVID, actually. Um, you know, tons of testing and, and really after the big, long shutdown, um, we've recovered and rallied pretty well, I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that we've done as well as we can. And that's just based on, you know, the challenges. Um, but um, I was very impressed with the way the unions and guilds and uh, industry associations and other stakeholders all came together um, to uh, with producers to uh, make it work and get back to work quickly and get people back employed. So um, I think it was, you know, just amazing to see uh, you know, those people in action getting things done and, and doing it well. Yeah. I know. No one, no one ever says people in film don't do things well. They're pretty efficient compared to many industries, I would say. So I want to take it back a little bit further, which I think would be maybe a bit, you know, it's not your normal kind of conversation, I would say. But I am so curious about how you started in film or even just this whole world and, and your way through it. Like what let you down this path? And also just the early days of, you know, I want to get into the Stephen Cannell stuff and the, and the studio stuff because I, I've read Dreaming in the Rain, which um, is a really good book. I don't know if you, if you know it about Vancouver film, but it's very cerebral. It, it talks about, you know, the lead up to the studio world and all that. And, yeah. But it's just not as engaging as someone who is um, actually there, Peter. So well, <laughs> I'm so curious, <laughs> and I'm not yeah. trying to date you, but, no, you know, there's, well, not a, there's not a ton of people left, like, that can that I can bend their ear on this stuff from that time at the beginning. So I feel like I have you hostage in the best way. So first of all, I mean, I, I guess which led to this was probably, you know, uh, I end up at uh, UBC. I was, I was born and raised in Vancouver and ended up going to UBC. I graduated from high school and, yeah. and decided um, I better do some sort of a business degree so I can get a job when I'm finished um, and end up going into commerce and, and graduated in commerce and articled for a um, pretty large CA firm at the time, uh, which is now KPMG. And then after that, I went to one of our clients, which was Ticketmaster, and um, oh. and and worked with Ticketmasters. I ran one of their divisions that we sold all the tickets in the shopping malls and lottery tickets and those type of things. And um, so that was, you know, that was a really good experience and got to learn. Um, some spreadsheet software and, and, you know, those are the kind of the earlier days of, of uh, computers and different software. That we- well, I still remember calling for tickets, right? Like 280-4444 and you'd get the busy signal and you'd hang up and you'd like steal the phone at home for a half an hour trying to get your <laughs> tickets. 
yeah, and then we, uh, you know, we, we were responsible for all the passes for Expo, and um, so it was it was oh, kind right. of a fun time, and it was a it, it was a, a great company to work for. There was the Berry Brothers that ran it, and um, and it was it was my experience, my first experience in dealing with uh, a, a relatively small business with entrepreneurs driving it, and the decisions being made very quickly, and uh, it, it was a really nice environment. Um, to, I guess, wet my feet in. And I've been fortunate to work for similar companies, including um, my current employer, which is Boza Development. Anyways, I was there for a few years and then I kind of maxed out what I could make in the division I was in. Um, and so I was pretty open about it to, you know, that, you know, to look for other opportunities. And um, anyways, my Two of my first opportunities. One was in the tax department with Kaminko, um, which would have been interesting and see what would happen. And then um, Stephen yeah. Cannell uh, with Joe Kazarowski and Andy Hupsch, who were the CFO and the uh, vice president of finance, came up and I had an interview with them. And and then a second interview of the next day, and then was hired the next day. So it was really a quick entry into the film industry for me when I got hired as. Um, the financial controller with Cannell Films back in 1987. So that's how I got in. It was uh, wow. So oh my gosh, I could ask you a hundred questions about just that. I mean, seriously, like I didn't even know who Stephen Cannell was, even though he had eight network series on the. You know, I knew him as the guy that pulled a piece of paper out of the uh, the typewriter. But um, yes. other than that, he had eight series, including the A Team at the time when I joined. And, yeah, uh, and the first couple of shows. And did you know much about? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, you go. You're the guest. Well, well the, I mean, the first couple of shows we did were uh, Twenty One Jump Street and Wise Guy. Um, so I got to pay Johnny Depp as per diem, and if we could find him. <laughs> it, it, and there's all sorts of devoted crew members at the time that were really into the industry because we were relatively small still back in '87, um, but but potentially growing. And the interesting thing was. You know, some of the department heads were brought up from Los Angeles. And, you know, so a higher percentage of our crew was based out of L.A. because we didn't have everybody here um, in terms of growing industry. But, mm-hmm. of course, fast forward a few years and then ex- in excess of 95% of the, of the cast and crew were Canadian, although, you know, they bring up some main cast, of course. But, but uh, it, it was amazing how quickly that British Columbians took those jobs and got the experience. So I thought it was a great model actually to, uh, which I talk about quite a bit with government and that if you allow experts to come up here that aren't from here, um, it gives real opportunity for people from BC and, and Canadians to get trained and get trained, you know, by the best. So I'm a big advocate for, for doing that. Well, you're right. Yeah. And like, you know, literally that's what happened because what I read he was cannibal sort of fighting for like locations and space and was like, well, I'm just going to open my own studios then. Yeah, but I mean, in 1987, when I started, that was the year that they bought um, the property. They went, they shopped around everywhere and they ended up, you know, buying this site at North Shore Studios um, across from the Second Arrows Bridge um, on Brooksbank. And um, this was the old Park and Tilford Distillery. So the first time I was here, there'd been some old buildings that they, um, they mowed down the year later. Um, it was really interesting to see, but this was always a dream of Stephen Cannell once he came up here. He originally went to Calgary for a show called Stingray, and then brought that show across to BC, and uh, that was in, ni- in November of 1986, and I got hired in June of 87. But uh, 
you know, he, that was a dream of his. And so he put his money here and he, he partnered up with Paul Bronfman, who became a very good friend of mine. And uh, um, so Stephen, I think owned 65% and Paul owned 35% of the studio when I, when we got going here and that was completed in 1989. I, I was looking after the cost of the construction and things um, when we built it. Um, and I didn't take over running the studio. I was, I was with Candle Films at the time, but it didn't take over running until about 1994. And, and looking back, do you, did you realize what like the catalyst of what you were part of? I guess when you probably don't usually when you're in those moments until you're where you are now, but that's such a pivotal moment for Vancouver film, right? Well, it'd be hard to imagine that you're going to be in this career as long as I have been. I mean, it's been 35 years. Um, so it, it would it'd be hard to imagine back then that it was going to last this long. Um, and it's not that I thought mm-hmm. it was going to come to an end by any means, but, you know, we're kind of in the gig economy a little bit and, um, and they do business a little bit differently. I mean, I came from a, a, an accounting, you know, professional accounting background. And uh, um, so some of the, Controls and things like that weren't really in place in those days. We did a lot of things with cash. Um, it was amazing. Right. You know, things have changed over time, certainly, and, um, you know, for the better uh, in a lot of ways. But it was it was definitely fun back then. And, you know, initially when you start in this industry, you're very curious. I read all the scripts and, you know, really interested in watching all the shows. And, and not that I'm not now, but uh, I certainly haven't read a script in an awful long time. And um, But it's great to see the volume of production and you know, how many people are involved in being employed in this industry are now. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And how much was a per diem in those days? How much was Mr. Depp getting for his, um, for his, like you're saying, like a daily per diem for your, for your incident? For the, for the leads in those TV series, I think it was, it was something around 5,000 a week. And for the big ones, it might've been 10,000 a week. That's still good. <laughs> to me, it was darn good money at the time. Um, but the funny yeah. thing was we would bring it out in cash and count it off. So wait, was this their payment or was this just their like running money? No, this is just their play money. Yeah, play money. That's what I thought. I wanted to make sure because it was a large amount, but. Yeah. And did anybody, people probably came and asked for more, huh? Did you ever get any of that midweek, Peter? Uh, I, I never, you know, that that was above my pay grade at the time. Um, <laughs> Good answer. They, they, Good had to talk answer. To, they had to talk to the boomer, Steve Sasson. He was 6'4 and <laughs> 240 pounds. Yeah. And wore dark glasses to be scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you had to do. He, he was the production manager in the uh, prior to that with the A team. So, um, right. Yeah, so he was brought up the right way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, and I, you know, Candle died young, right? Like I think he was only like sixty nine. So, um, you know, that was that was not a long life. No, unfortunately, he got melanoma, and um, you know, which was kind of unexpected and just something that happens. And um, he probably didn't detect it as early as he should have, but, it, you know, it was unfortunate. He did, he was a bit, probably a bit of a sun worshiper in some ways. He had a mm-hmm. convertible Ferrari, I think it was. Yeah. Well, that'll do it. Maybe not up in Vancouver, but maybe on the drive up if you're coming from LA. I wonder well, how many of them drew, yeah. drove back in the day versus flying. Well, he, he lived in uh, Pasadena, so he got his share of sunshine, that's for sure. But he was a he was a great guy. Um, he was dyslexic, and uh, he had a fantastic assistant uh, with him. So um, he did extremely well for himself. Very bright business person, too, you know, and uh, fabulous writer. Um, so he did really well with the mm-hmm. series. Again, when I started, it was like, yeah, seven network series on the air. 
um, which is unprecedented for an independent. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is just, it's such a great story, which is why I'm so happy that you have the history to tell it, right? And so, and then, so, so talk to me about the whole Lionsgate Studios switch. Like that, that, that was kind of more 90s, right? Yeah. Um, like how did things progress, I guess, from, from that to, to, to Lionsgate and then really back again? It was funny because um, I was sitting in my office one day and I got a call from Frank Justra and he asked if he could come by and, and he came by and it's funny, he had a couple of news clippings of what he'd done and he was running a big brokerage firm at the time. And uh, he was, uh, I was aware of him and knew him in the business circles, but uh, you could tell he was the real deal uh, when Frank came to my office. And uh, it was kind of nice because I'm generally a fast walker, but Frank was just as fast as I was. And we walked around the facility and we sat down and talked and he got interested. And, and then he, uh, he made an offer to the owners of the facility and, uh, you know, Lo and behold, Lionsgate Entertainment, it's what it was one of the first assets that Lionsgate Entertainment purchased, and probably one of the best assets in some ways at the time that, uh, that they purchased. He did very well by it, and uh, it was great actually working with, with Frank. I've been very fortunate to work with all the owners have been fantastic um, that I've worked for, and you know that's a real privilege to sort of be able to survive all those transitions, just because I had, you know, really great owners that were well capitalized and, and appreciated the business. And how did your role change through all of this? Like, like, you know, walk me through sort sort of what your role, how your role evolved. You must have obviously moved up, but like, what were those stepping stones? The interesting thing about Lionsgate, first of all, it was, it was an upstart company. And when they started up, it wasn't as if they, you know, all of a sudden had all this production where they filled the studio, you know, they bought a production company it was Mandalay at the time not necessarily the best thing to do but they made a lot of good decisions going forward and and uh, we did a couple of Lionsgate shows here but they certainly didn't fill the place um, thank God at that point in time um, the X-Files came along and of course we still had some cattle stuff happening but uh, when Frank t- turned over that that whole team was really from my perspective great to work for we became a publicly traded company um, although we were niche originally based in Vancouver, you know, we, we ended up in Santa Monica and, and that's where, you know, the, a lot of the mine and management was Although a lot of the directors, you know, there's a number of directors that still lived up here, like Frank and, and uh, Arthur Evansall, and there's others that were on the board. And, and so it was, it was interesting. It was, and it was interesting because I worked closely with Frank's office downtown with Gord Keep, um, who I looked up as my boss and Gord was a great guy to work with and a very good business person. And uh, it was interesting getting involved in the public markets and the stock options and those type of things. So it was, uh, uh, it was different in just watching the growth and the, you know, when Frank wants to do something, he gets it done fast. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he brings the right people around the table and they make a decision in a couple of days versus, uh, you know, when he worked at Yorkton Securities and ran that firm, you know, he was, they were doing like 300 deals a year kind of thing. So, you know, it, it didn't, yeah. didn't take Frank long to sort of build the company up, um, which is just amazing. And then uh, uh, when John Feldheimer took the helm, when they hired him as the CEO, I think that's when they really sort of launched into the next level of production and became a, a bigger, stronger company and make, made some good acquisitions to their library and, and uh, you know, are firmly established as one of the really major companies that have entered the marketplace in the last number of years. Yeah, exactly. And I would would you also say, you know, I know a lot of that was series stuff, but there must have been a shift as well to to more features coming up here. 
Yeah, I mean, there's some. I mean, you know, Lionsgate didn't necessarily drive production up to Vancouver. They drove production right. to wherever it made sense to do it, um, as do most companies now. Um, so they weren't, um, from a production standpoint, they weren't necessarily went to Vancouver, which is, um, I think it's fantastic when there's companies that do do that, like some of the local companies that we've got now, which is uh, it's great to see. And I really admire the, again, the entrepreneurs that are building businesses and creating jobs and investing their own money in it. So I'm amazed at that because it's a, it's a tough business to do well in. And there's been a lot of success stories in, in Vancouver with those companies. So those are really the the people that admire and, and, you know, we want to see more of that, of course, to build more Canadian production. Um, but um, we've been blessed to have the, as much U.S. production. It's a, you know, we're, we're really a go-to place for all the U.S. production that's come up here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something like, what is it, like 80% is service, right? Servicing American productions, something like that? Yeah, easily that. And and certainly they're responsible for a lot of the infrastructure that have got built here now where, you know, now we've got over two and a half million square feet of stage space up here, which is, you know, incredible compared to where we started. You know, when we started, the bridge had converted in 1987 to a a film studio and then there was ourselves it was purpose-built and that was the start of it really in terms of proper studios so yeah there was it was it was a really nice time to start i'm sort of thinking if i look back the last 35 years certainly the, the best 35 years uh, to be in the film industry in british columbia and vancouver yeah i love that you you did the full like the full journey of it right like the full build-up to its peak really which not a lot of people can say you know the challenging stuff is ahead of us <laughs> Well, I feel like you probably had a lot of challenges back then as well. And that's why I was going to ask you, like, what was your day-to-day like? What's a role of someone? And and give me what kind of your role was or your title, because, you know, you weren't always president. You must have. Yeah, well, as as a financial controller for Cannell Films, they would send the money to our bank account up here. And so I was with Steve and I were the signing officers and, and just really had to make sure that, oh, and then GSC came in, of course, at that point in time, or just, just after that, that oh, became yeah. a, a, a pretty big headache for, uh, for a lot of us to figure that out. It still is. It's still a headache, Peter. And, and how it all worked and, and just to cash flow it. Um, Cause it was just another thing that we, we kind of had to deal with and, and make sure we cash flowed it. But it, it was really just making sure that we had, and, and we're, paying an awful lot of people. And of course it was weekly and just to put the controls, financial controls in place, I think was the big thing. We ended up doing our own payroll. We didn't, uh, we didn't hire a payroll service company. You know, we did it ourselves at the time, which which turned out actually, and so we had actually a full accounting department to, to deal with that, but it actually saved us a lot of money. Um, at the time. And, um, and just, and just putting all the controls, cause again, it was, you know, yeah. Even with extras, we'd all pay them cash at the time. So it was, uh, it's evolved now, of course. And and we created a lot of expertise. I mean, I ended up hiring, you know, a few people actually that were the Ticketmaster that are production accountants now and, you know, others that have gone on to successful careers in the industry and making some real good money and making their living at it. So it's nice to see that happen. But, uh, um, you know, th- things were pretty steady, actually, you know, the, and we had pretty steady growth. We didn't have too many blips here. Um, I remember when, you know, Toronto was inf- afflicted by SARS and we didn't yes. get it. And um, and so we carried on business as usual. Um, of course, everybody, you know, recently, of course, has been affected by COVID. But in general, we escaped a lot of the crisis in terms of 
changes in tax incentives and policies and th those type of things that um, that other jurisdictions have faced, especially in the U.S. Um, so it, it, we've been a very steady place to do business where it builds confidence in, you know, especially our American investors and, and those that are spending a lot of money here. Yeah, and I know another part of your role, right, is obviously like you're a steward for the industry, like with government and in Victoria, and, you know, also elevating when it was a littler town and a littler industry and putting it on the map for film, right? So an ad, you had, you know, sort of an advocate role as well, you know, versus just a suit numbers guy. Yeah, that was a, but, and, but that was a pretty big wheel where I'm a, I, I'm literally one of the cogs in the wheel and all the board members around MPN, we all really worked very well collaboratively because we recognized that, you know, when 80 plus percent of your business is from the U.S., is let's make sure that the environment here is conducive for them to come up here and then um, and then we can share the business amongst all of us. So um, it wasn't a particularly, especially with studio owners, it wasn't, you know, we weren't battling on price or anything like that. Um, we mm -hmm. were, and, and we wanted everybody to be a great service provider. If you were in the lighting and grip business or the studio business or the transportation business, you know, we just appreciated that everybody was doing a good job so that the customers coming up here had a great experience. And that's really, I, I think that was our mandate at Empia is, hey, if, um, if, every, if everybody's having a great experience coming up here, they're going to keep coming. And, and so, of course, part of that is, you know, we looked at government as a, an important partner that invested in this industry, you know, to build all the jobs um, that have been built here and, and to sustain them. And, and they've been a great partner that way and they continue to be so. Um, so, uh, but that's something that you can't just assume or take for granted. You have to continue mm -hmm. to engage them and prove that, that you're a worthy investment. And I think they've recognized that we are, but, you know, we want to do so every day. And, you know, one of the things that they're looking for us to do is make sure that we know diversify the workforce more so than it has historically, which we're doing anyway. So that, that's what we're, we're happy to partner with them and, and come to an agreement with, you know, how do we accomplish that? And, and what kind of timeframes are we talking about? So we've always, uh, we've always recognized that it's important to make sure that that, that relationship is, is strong with government. So it's one of the things that we do in terms of communication to and, and meeting and updating government. Those well, and it's interesting, too, because BC, you know, has historically been such a resource economy. And I feel like with film, you know, and probably tech now, to, in some regards, more recently, is there's like an education for everyone of what it is and how much it contributes, you know, like it's easier to understand our resource, or, you know, all the resource forestry, etc. But when it's this thing called film, you know, everybody kind of had a learning curve in the beginning. Even people giving out their houses for locations and, right. you know, trying to find a way in the business themselves. So it's quite interesting. You know, we've come so far that it's way more common speak now. But even as much as mortgage brokers not understanding, you could be making so much money in film, but they're like, I know, but you're you're like, you're a contractor. Like, you don't have any guarantee of work. How am I supposed to give you a mortgage, right? Right. Just things like that, you know? Yeah. Well, we had to, I remember when... Uh you know, when we first financed the studio, um, we were with Canadian Maple Leaf Fund and a couple of other kind of private um, equity people. Um, and then I had to, I guess, five years later. So we completed the studio in 89 and, and then I had to refinance it in 94. And um, I went to every single bank and financial institution I could find and 
finally, I had I met um, a, a banker at the Bank of Montreal that I became friends with, and um, he was really interested in getting educated about the business and looking at the history that um, we had over the last number of years, and and he was the only one that presented us with the loan, and it was a it was a it was a good deal for us. I mean, it worked really well for us, and uh, um, so that was an interesting experience that. You know, if people don't understand the business, they're not going to be interested in getting involved. And and, and back in '94, real estate wasn't considered as, as good a collateral as it is as it is today. So so it was a struggle back then. But you know what? Um, it was all a matter of once you understood the business and understood the cash flows coming in, and um, that you know, yes, we do have this percentage of occupancy in the sound stages, and, and we had some history. And he bought into it then. You know, it became a little easier after that. Yeah, like everything did with film, really, right? The better we got at it. Yeah, but I, but but I think you're absolutely right in terms of educating people. That's it's an ongoing thing because there's new faces all the time, and um, it is uh, it can be challenging to understand it. And we love doing show and tells, um, and I think other stakeholders in the industry and suppliers like doing that also, just so that people do get a better understanding of of how the industry works. Well, I was going to ask, there's not really tours of the studios, is there? Like, you know, in the States, they do these fancy studio tours to get people, well, also, I guess, some income as well, but like, you know, exposure to it, but we don't really do that here. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the resources they've got down in Los Angeles and the size of the facilities they've got there, you know, they do have the capacity to do those things. And of course, you know, you've got somebody like Universal Studios. It's funny, a friend of mine is now running it. Oh, wow. Yeah, who used to work for Stephen Cannell, Michael Moore. He's now in charge of the studios and, and Universal and all those things. Amazing. Um, but, you know, they turned that into, I mean, that that's all become part of their big brand. Whereas here, here, these are just, you know, really just operating facilities that we've got. So, and we've welcomed groups here before uh, on the rare time, but since COVID happened and also with the, you know, with everybody carrying around a cell phone, that made things a little bit more restricted uh, because we had people walking through with their cell phones, recording things. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, um, so security is a little tighter nowadays. And then with COVID, of course, um, right. you know, we didn't have really any outside visitors or very few. But, you know, in terms of people that are need to know or that want to see the facilities that are, you know, partners with our, us in whatever way, you know, we'll do small groups once in a while with those particular people that have specific uh, need to see the facilities. I'm just nosy. I'm just asking from a selfish perspective. <laughs> But I do remember coming as a student, right? I remember coming, like my intro episode talks about how I came to the 21 Jump Street Studios. And as a kid in elementary school, it blew my mind, right? It was like nothing I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. And we, you know what? When we loved doing those tours. And I, I like that. It was way more open in the good old, let's call it the good old days. Good old days. But, but, but earlier on, earlier on, it was, um, you know, we had more access. Um, I, you know, I watched a lot more of the scenes being shot at the time. And, and now it's, it has changed from a security standpoint, obviously with, you know, with COVID that again, influenced things. And, and then with the advent of the, every phone as a camera caused certain restrictions now. But if I get the chance to bring somebody through, I would, but it's, Right now, it's hard just because I can't get access to the place I used to be able to. I used to be able to walk through every single one of her stages. Right. So I do have one question about North Shore Studios, which is, do you have a favorite studio? I think there's eight there, right? Is there about eight? Yeah, um, maybe stage eight. 
stage eight. How come? Uh, well, we, well, I guess I was, to a certain extent, responsible for building both stages seven and eight. They're bigger than the other six, so maybe. That- but I think that, I think the reason is it's got the most parking. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're such a logistics man. Look at that. The truth comes out. So from an operations standpoint, yeah, if I can, stage eight's the easiest sell in some ways, I would think. The, the less headaches. But we love them all because they've got some history, right? I mean. Of course. You know, I don't know how many, which stages X-Files took and which ones 21 Jump Street took. And and uh, so, so they all, there's all some always some good experiences that we had with uh, with all of the stages. Are there any remnants of the past in there in terms of stuff like that? Or is it all pretty stripped from days gone by? Well, I guess pretty, I mean, it gets pretty stripped out really from days gone by. Things haven't changed too much. I mean, we had, again, we had a couple of sound stages. Paul, my colleague, did a nice job. And we used to have the white lunch tents, which got all grungy and dirty from the coal dust. And, and uh, they're a bit of an eyesore. And then I guess it's probably, I don't know, over 10 years ago when we built um, these sort of like log cabin things for people to have their lunches in with fold-up garage doors and it's so much nicer now. wonder whatever happened to the tents. Where'd the tents go? Those are heirlooms now with the coal dust. Come on. No, they're like dirty laundry. Um, so we're about <laughs> to go. <laughs> so get mildew and, no, that was a that was the worst. And then... And then um, we built a little gazebo and fish pond, and with and Paul loves his goldfish that are in there. So, um, and you know, I have to say one thing is we've got the we got the best location in terms of settings of any of the studios. I think it's beautiful here. Yeah, I mean, you th- you talk about real estate now, like that's sitting on some pretty pennies. I know. You know, everything now is out in Langley and all these pla- right deep Langley, all these studios, but. They've got some nice facilities. I remember with Jamal Martini today, and and uh, and she's doing a great job in terms of, you know, she's going to be expanding, and I think that's all great. In fact, I want us to, I'd love to see us expand further out in British Columbia. When we talk about, you know, in terms of the industry, it has been centralized around you know the Vancouver area uh, for most of its life, and mm-hmm. it's great to see us expanding outside of that, and if they're building facilities out in, uh, on the island or in the interior or uh, anywhere else, and even drawing talent from all sorts, all corners of the province um, is becoming a, a really important thing. And then, and then you do get, um, you know, more of the government having a better understanding of the benefits of the industry. Although, you know, we, we use a lot of the lumber that's in the interior or up north, or, um, you know, we we certainly support those type of vendors and other vendors. So, but it's nice to see the whole province benefit. Yeah. It's interesting to see what another like 35 years will do, you know, as you look back over your career, where, where it will go and how it will evolve within the province and Canada. Does anything stand out as a highlight as you look back? I mean, I don't want to make it a big reflection thing, but that's a lot of career years, you know, getting a chance to talk to you would be silly if I didn't ask. Well, first of all, I, you know, I, you know, the highlight is absolutely is the people that you end up meeting. And I know that might sound like a bit of a cliche, but there's so many talented people um, in this industry uh, that that do something different than you do. And I'm always amazed at uh, how talented they are and the things that they build and, and the quality of the talent, whether it be in front of the camera or behind the camera. Um, I think that was the most interesting thing for me, especially, I mean, 
when I first started, you know, all the different positions that this industry employs, you know, you can, there's so many skills that you can apply to this industry, which to me is fascinating. We're, we're sort of self-contained in the way we can move from one location to the other and, mm-hmm. and, and just do whatever, whatever needs being done gets done. Um, and it has to be done in, in a particular period of time. And so even some of the set decorating and props and things that you see that, you know, you can't go off and say, sorry, I couldn't find any of that stuff. You know, <laughs> you're out of luck. Yeah, no. No doesn't exist in film, does it? Is it does no even work anywhere on set? You know, and so how people are so creative in finding solutions to, uh, to problems. And also just to, uh, I, I got to see um, how people you know, led in those circumstances, um, which was pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. again, I go back to Steve Sasson, who was in charge of production for Cannell uh, at the time. And, and again, we called him the boomer. It was, and he knew the business and, um, you know, he helped, you know, train and it was influential in a number of people's careers. But there's all sorts of great people who've led the way and, you know, really talented British Columbians where, you know, I think some of our crews here are the best crews in the world. Well, I hear that a lot, for sure. And people that have gone down to LA to work, right? Yeah, and and it's um, we can get the job done here. I, I think that was the one thing that I noticed that and that we could brag about when we went down to Los Angeles. So, you know, if you want to get done time, done it on time and on budget, come to BC, and and we could do that. Yeah, and even the cooperation, how government was uh, worked with us also in terms of uh, you know very steady with the tax credit program and and understood the benefits of the industry and how to grow it. Yeah, and I mean, Canadians are notoriously humble, so to be able to toot our own horn with that probably doesn't come naturally, right? So it says a lot about the industry to have the pride to be able to say that, especially when you think about L.A., which has always been the big brother for this. You know, you've always felt like the little sibling up here. Yeah. Even the Hollywood North term, right? No, no, for sure. Did you ever feel detached from the filmmaking, like the filmmaking process because you were – more part of the studio world and then even more part of the like business running of the business of that studio uh, in a good way. And that I got to go home at night. Um, whereas everybody else had just <laughs> yeah, <stayed. true>. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, and, 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 and that was, that was a nice part of it. You know, I think it's, I, it's a different role here that I've got in terms of, but I'm, I'm very interested in people continuing to work in the industry. That's uh, I think it's always been something that, um, to to have a knowledge based creative sector here, um, I just see the benefit the benefits of it in so many ways. You know, uh, because I think uh, to have that type of talent here, which is going to be needed, because as we go forward, more and more jobs are going to be you know knowledge based jobs, and and you're going to have to have those skills, and also how people adapt to just getting the job done. You know, as like we talked about before. I would. I, there's, there's a lot of people here I'd hire any time now because you wouldn't have to worry that they take care of things in a crisis. Yeah. Who knows what it's going to look like in 10 years from now? I have no idea, but I think we're in good hands. Well, and I was going to say on that note, you know, what do you hope for the next generation of, of BC film? Do you have any hopes? I feel privileged that we get the, amount of, the volume of work that we get up here um, because there's a number of factors that come into that. Um, and one of them is the the dedication and devotion of the people that are involved in the industry to, to do a great job. And um, so that has to continue. Otherwise we'll find out pretty quick if it's not working right. Um, I want to, I think Vancouver has got a real opportunity to be the most inclusive 
film industry, the busiest for our size. We don't necessarily have to have the um, the highest tax incentives, but we're we've got the the best value overall, mm-hmm. um, and which I think we do. I think we do right now that we stay humble. I mean that hey, this is a privilege to get this work up here, and we need to keep earning people's trust on it. I think those are um, really important things, and yeah. um, and that you know education is an ongoing process and i think things are going to continue to change and evolve in this industry um so upgrading skills is going to be really really important going forward and you just can't sort of say hey i know how to do this i don't have to you know learn anything more about the industry and one of the nice things about the industry is there's always challenges that where you're learning new things all the time but i think people are going to have to continually upskill well, yeah, even just with technology, right? I know my husband works in lighting and things have changed incrementally just in over the course of his career. Yeah, and we're and these people are smart enough. It's just a matter of just, you know, making sure, hey, don't fall behind if you can avoid it. On that note, though, it's funny. I have friends that have worked in the States in film and they're like, some of the technology down there is pretty old. That's true. <laughs> like, we're doing pretty good, yeah. you know? Oh, no, I think, you know, there's, you know, certainly the, you, you look at all the new things that they've got, but there's a lot of the old stuff too. Um, but yeah, uh, but even from an environmental standpoint, I mean, you know, who doesn't want to be the greenest industry in North America as your calling card, as well as, you know, doing great work? I mean, um, that's going to be incredibly important for us going forward. But I think we're starting to take some initiatives yeah. um, in terms of, LED lighting, um, eliminating diesel generators, changing our fleet over to more of an electric fleet um, where we can. Uh, I think this industry embraces a lot of that. I mean, even the power for studios now where there's more solar power than there has been before. And we're certainly looking at that uh, to see where the opportunities are. I think um, I, I think all those things are going to be incredibly important um, for us to survive and thrive going forward. Yeah, you can't ignore it now. It's true. And and I feel like film will adapt better than most, actually, to all the points we've discussed in terms of agility, right? Yeah, and I think the other thing that we're working on is uh, Creative BC has done a great job on this in terms of introducing creative pathways and to bring other people into the industry. And, and for the unions and guilds, you know, I think it's really important that they embrace, you know, accreditation. So when people take these micro-credential courses or other courses, that those skills are recognized and we can get those people into the industry so people have a clearer pathway i mean it you know historically it has been you know who do you know right. to get into the industry but now i think we have to do a better job in terms of that and i think we are we're starting to do that so that's a uh, that's nice to sort of see it go in that direction so we can attract top talent that you know doesn't have to try and figure out how to get in yeah exactly and on that note, getting in and, you know, staying in for a long time, does it feel like 35 years for you? No, it doesn't. It's so funny now. Um, things that I thought happened five years ago happened 15 years ago. <laughs> I think that's the thing that's changed, but it just goes by. I know everybody says this, but it does go by so quickly um, that, you know, you have to enjoy the journey. And this is an industry where you can enjoy the journey mm-hmm. and, and meet some great great talented people and some really nice people that want to, you know, do all the right things. So, and again, um, that's why it's been, it's been such a pleasure working here. And, and of course I've had such support from the owners again, like with Boza development, they've been fantastic. Couldn't have a better employer. And also they have, of course, made a big investment into the Boza film center at Capilano U, um, which was awesome. 
and uh, are very supportive and want to build this industry. So they're industry builders, our company, which is nice. Well, and I live in a Bosa building, so you know what? I'm biased. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, do you feel like, you know, we're we're wrapping up here, we're running out of time, but do you feel like you've accomplished all that you've set out to do? Do you still have a little bit of that? I mean, with a lot of years behind, you can get complacent, right? Well, it's kind of funny, um, you know, you don't look at it that way. I don't look at it that way at all. I look at it that I've had this opportunity to work with these very talented. I mean, there's so many people that have helped this industry, all the film liaison people around all the communities that are pitching in to make it all work. Um, and again, the unions and guilds where it used to be a bit tougher and they're now, you know, I, I look at them as economic development people now, and which is great to see. And, and, uh, and we're all trying to find, you know, what's the best way to create pathways in again is, is so important. But I, I guess I feel like um, I've been fortunate to be in the position I've been in at the studio where you do have some time to spend on helping out where you can in terms of industry building. I, I'm really happy now to pass the torch on to, I mean, Amy Lang's going to take over my position here uh, at the studio and she's awesome. And she's same age as I was when I started kind of thing. And she's got energy. And and then Gemma Martini is taking over for me as the chair of, she took over for me as the chair of uh, the Motion Picture Production Industry Association. And she's awesome. And and, and others around the board table are also. So uh, I, I feel good in that the people taking over are faster runners and um, are going to take us to the right places and have got the right mindset. So, and, and, have that energy to drive things forward in the right way. Um, so I, I really actually feel um, good about where the industry is right now. Again, I think there's some hurdles that we've, you know, we've got to take on head on um, in terms of workforce development and making sure that, you know, we're as green as we can be as an industry. And the government wants to, and that we're inclusive, like, and, and the government wants, wants to see us do that to, you know, to justify and support um, their investment in the industry, which is awesome. So, I, I feel like that I'm leaving at a good time and I'm leaving it to great people. Well, you've got quite the legacy. And I mean, I'm still going to reinforce what I said at the beginning, which being, you know, you're atrociously humble. No. I think it was accurate. I wasn't sure at the beginning, but now I can confirm it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you, that's quite a legacy of a career. So I really, truly appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today with all my nosy questions. Um, like it's just it's such a... Yeah, it's so interesting, and I just really appreciate you sharing it. I'm sure everybody's going to feel that way. And listen, if you're, you know, if you're ever bored on a on a sunny summer day, you can just you can just go to the little log places on the set there and have a sandwich with everybody. <laughs> that sounds like a plan, right? Good idea. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, Colby. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. All the best. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye now. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I always appreciate reviews as well, which you can do on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Subscribe, like, or share it with someone you think might be interested in the Vancouver film industry. Or if you work in film, maybe send it to your partner so they know why you're never home.